Today's show is sponsored by Cufflinks.com. Of course, Cufflinks.com slash DVR. Go there today. Elevate your style when you walk out the door in the morning. Look good, feel good. Go to Cufflinks.com. Use code ENDGAME30 to get 30% off all Marvel merchandise leading up to Avengers Endgame, baby. That's right, Endgame30. Cufflinks.com slash DVR. Don't forget, Podcast Winterfell, we're going to be giving away a Hand of the Queen or Hand of the King pin every week on our live call-in show. Cufflinks.com slash DVR. Check it out. Welcome back to Podcast Winterfell. Check us out at DVRpodcast.com or PodcastWinterfell.com. We got a great show for you today. This is a man that many of you have heard on this show previous to uh, my taking over the reins here. Uh, You've also heard him on the Joffrey of Podcasts, as well as you've heard him on Mgadab. Isn't that what it's called? Mgadab? Got your milk. Mgadab. Got your milk. It's Matt's Game of Thrones. Audio blog, which is going strong, and we love it. We're actually going to be dropping a special from Matt uh, next week. Um, a uh, uh, He did a cleft notes of kind of what season eight could be. So you heard his voice already, ladies and gentlemen, a.k.a. Fit and Trim, a.k.a. Bubba. Bubba's here. How you doing, pal? Axel, I think you know this, but I've got to say, like probably hundreds of thousands of us, who enjoy Game of Thrones. Part of our enjoyment of it is kind of the social interaction. And I think about all these podcasts I do, and it really all goes back to a film list emergency podcast after, spoiler alert, Ned lost his head in season one, episode nine, Baylor. You guys were so passionate, so excited to listen to. And so, I mean, you were giggling, you were going crazy. How is this possible? It just excited me so much as a listener. Then you guys started Podcast Winterfell, or I should say Matt started it. You guys were always on it. And Matt has a call-in show. And so what was real funny is I thought, you know what? None of those guys had read the book. So I'll I'll just call in and then, you know, kind of give some book knowledge. But I didn't really want to talk much. Didn't really want to do much. Just, you know, kind of if you guys ever kind of lost track because there's so many (laughs) characters, I thought, well, I'll just say, oh, you mean this character. But then what ended up happening is – you guys were just so much fun and so open and so inviting. Next thing you know, uh, my whole life is dedicated to podcasts. So thanks a lot, Axel. <laughs> Where'd my life go? You're welcome, buddy. You're welcome. Uh, it's us that's to blame, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to send an email, dvrpodcast at gmail.com. No, that's awesome. I appreciate it. And uh, and then we all feed each other because I love you guys you do awesome stuff, and you've covered so much on podcast Winterfell with Matt, and you're continuing on with him on M Gatab. We got to come up with the name. Matt's Game of Thrones audio blog is too much. We were trying to come up with M-Gotab. a podcast name. We were trying to come up with a podcast name that uh, over overwent Twitter's character limit, and he got close. <laughs> so uh, we're going to see how that does. <laughs> That's true. Just like uh, what did he do? He did Winterfell pod on Twitter instead of podcast Winterfell. That was probably very much a fail. He always joked about that, (laughs) but I ain't going to change it. It's all good. But um, so 
just to start, we're just going to have a chat. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, but I wanted to start off. Season eight is coming up. Tell us like what you have planned, what you're going to be doing, which pot are you going to be on M go tab, Joffrey of podcasts. You want to, you want to come on here and chat with it. What's your plans for season eight? What are you looking forward to kind of as a, as a podcaster? Well, Axel, like you, I'm just excited. It it felt like the the long night waiting for season yeah. eight to come, and now that it, it it's almost unbelievable to think that it's just a couple of weeks away. You know, I kind of have to keep pinching myself, keep uh, uh, keep uh, sticking a rat with a bucket to my stomach to really <laughs> believe that this is coming back, man. So, f- as a spinoff of podcast Winterfell, or I guess I should say, as podcast Winterfell kept going, everybody kind of agreed on stuff, and I always thought. We needed an antagonist. There are a million antagonists on Game of Thrones. So I thought, well, I'll just start disagreeing for various reasons with the podcast. (laughs) Just kind of for fun, just to say, well, maybe I could disagree. And so I always used to kind of defend his grace, first of his name, first in your heart, King Joffrey Baratheon. And I do it just for fun, just to kind of keep the conversation and take it in different areas a great Twitter follow, Iontrone at Iontrone on Twitter yes, started best. tweeting at started tweeting at me and said, "Oh, you should make this Joffrey podcast its own thing." And so I thought, "Okay, I'll do it as a lark and we'll kind of spoof podcasts rather than in a Game of Thrones fashion." You know, seven years later, here I am. We're still going. So immediately after each show on Sunday night, me and my uh, professional actor, ching. Buddy Catfish, we we try to bring a a, a light, fun, passionate, tongue-in-cheek take on the show because so many people do have such great thoughts, and I'll try to give some great thoughts tonight. But we thought, almost going back to the Filmless Emergency Podcast, where it's all just kind of passion, craziness, and we add our own uh, brand of silliness to it. So that's every week after the show, go to your podcast downloader of choice, whether it's Stitcher, iTunes, all of them. Search for the Joffrey podcast and listen to that. And I'll be a guest on Matt's Game of Thrones audio blog. And in really, just like I'm a fan of yours, Axel, your rewatch of all these seasons have been so fun to listen Thank to you. and so insightful. I think you mentioned it before about Matt's cleft notes where he talks about the music. It is just, it's just, edu- you know, it's like I'm being educated. And so uh, a lot of times when I'm on Matt's show, I, I always encourage him, do more cleft notes. I'll talk less because uh, he's so great. And so that's the plan. And just enjoy it. We should all enjoy it. We've all come all this way. And uh, season eight's going to be a great blast. That's exactly the attitude I have, you know, to just kind of enjoy it. And there's going to be, there's always, uh, you know, and I, you saw kind of articles coming up a couple weeks ago. And I like the way that it died out, which was that there were some websites and such trying to kind of get the fervor up like, <laughs> George doesn't want to be on the show. George doesn't like the show. And then people, you know, you have little things complaining. And But when you're entering into the final season, the show is here, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. going to be airing on HBO. There's nothing anyone's going to do to stop it, even if they, you know, hijack it and steal all the episodes and try to spoil everyone. We're still going to watch it. So Heck we yeah. might as well just have fun. And enjoy it. And one of the things that you did, uh, we were getting our notes together, and you you copied this timeline. And as a, you are a technical video person too, as mm-hmm. uh, myself, and we both appreciate, one of the things I've always appreciated is how you appreciate the time and the effort that goes into the show. 
and how much it takes. And you put this timeline here, the production timeline, starting out in before November 2005, Benioff and Weiss meet George R. R. Martin to discuss adapting the books. They pass a test by guessing the identity of Jon Snow's mother. Fanta- 2005. Can you believe it, Axel? I think so many people have discovered these great series of books through this great TV show. And, you know, here all these people have been like, oh, I've been waiting eight years. I've been waiting 10 years for to find out the uh, quote unquote end game. And here the creators of this show, they fell in love with these books and these characters and the story just like we did. And you want to know how long it takes something to get made in Hollywood. I always say another guy I love to podcast with, my buddy Mork, who's a producer of films. And he'll be working on, you know, I'll say, what's new? And he'll say, oh, this thing I've been working on. And I always think to myself, boy, you've been trying to get that made for years. It takes years to get something made. So Game of Thrones premiered in April of 2011. Six years prior is when they met with George R. R. Martin to try to secure the rights to these books and the ability to make this great show we all love. They met with HBO five years prior. They met with HBO in 2006. The show didn't air till 2011. That's how much time and effort it takes. It, it just kind of the process of making it. And it, it's really incredible when you go back and you think about that. We have, I discovered the show. I should say my buddy Catfish, he always recommends books for me to read. And he had been recommending a Game of Thrones in the series for so long. And a bit like you, Axel, I believe you mentioned this on a couple of podcasts ago. I wasn't a fantasy guy. I was like, yeah. fantasy? I don't want to read this. Fantasy, push You know, I don't want this. But then in uh, we were in a bookstore in uh, late fall of 2010, and uh, suddenly I saw the you know soon to be a HBO series uh, sticker on the cover of one of the paperbacks of a Game of Thrones, and I thought, oh man, I, I got to pick this up and start reading this. And uh, it was about page 90. I always remember that about page 90 in my paperback version of the book, where Bran got tossed out a window, and I suddenly said to myself. Okay, this is perfect. This makes a lot of sense. Uh, I should say that a couple of years prior, I had sold a screenplay that became a terrible horror film, which you can possibly find out there if you look. It aired on late night cable for a bit. but So I'm a real fan of story. And as soon as I saw a brand get tossed out the window on page 90, I was like, okay, well, that's going to be the end of the first episode. I knew it then. And then as you read it, and if you really know story structure, or at least television story structure, It made so much sense that this would be a great show. Uh, April 2011 comes along. I had still not read any of the other books. I was like, I'll read the book, watch a season, then read a book before the season comes out that the book is based on. But after the second episode, I was at the gym just kind of, you know, thinking about the show. Only read the first book and I suddenly went, oh, wait a minute. You know, Jon Snow's probably not Ned's son. He's probably like I suddenly figured it out. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I texted, I sent a text to my buddy Catfish, who had recommended the book series to me. I'm like, don't you think that Jon Snow's parentage is actually this? And Catfish had read all the books that were out at that point, the first four, and had been a fan of these books for years and years and years. And he suddenly went, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And so I felt real proud. I was like, ooh, look at me figuring this out. And he's read all the books he had and figured it out. But then I got so into the story. By the time uh, the first season was over, I had read all the books that were out at that point. And, uh, it, it, and so I'm here, I'm telling my story about how I've been tied into this since the fall of 2010. But once again, look at, look at yeah. these creators. They were involved five years before that. That's how much it takes. 
That's how much of their lives they put into this. I think we can all easily quibble. I've quibbled a million times about some of their choices, some of the mistakes, some of the corners they've had to cut. But uh, this has been an incredible bold production. And, uh, you know, let's let's see it through. Let's yeah. see it through all the way to May 2019. I love it. I, I agree, man. And all, all the things you said about us going on this journey for so long, and then you do think about them being honest, that one of the aspects is that they do want to end the show. They want to kind of do something else with their lives, you know? And <laughs> We shouldn't thing, let them. Yeah, it's like to think of, I just had to have a conversation with my wife where I was like, okay, honey, we're like two and a half weeks from the premiere here of season mm-hmm. eight. So you realize next week, like kind of next weekend is really kind of like when it starts, hon, I'm going to be like doing this Game of Thrones stuff. I might have to do like a live stream on a Saturday, <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of <laughs> thinking about it like, what the hell, I'm such a dork. Um, just thinking about it. And then the amount of work and effort that thousands – Thousands of people in countries all over the world. And that doesn't, that's not just who's directly making the show, but when you put in marketing and promotions and just everything everywhere uh, and all the time and energy it's taken them. And then for Dan and Dave to be doing this since 2005, right? Yeah, Uh, at least almost 15 years. It's, I think it's okay for them to want to do something else. <laughs> you know, like it's, we're all so used to people who uh, – younger people, uh, as often is the case, don't remember or don't know about a time like we know when a movie would be announced – You'd hear, oh, hey, they might make another Star Wars and then you'd see like some magazine on a th- – oh, my – wait, are they – are they casting it, you know? And then you, and then all of a sudden, it would be in a newspaper. There'd be an ad. Oh, my God. Three years later, right? The mm-hmm. movie's out. Oh, yeah. Now what people know is Marvel is announcing the next 20,000 movies they're doing <laughs> on the exact date. And it has to come oh, yeah. out on that date. Oh, yeah. Because if it doesn't come out on that date, it will ruin all the marketing and all the plans of the other 20,000 movies they're coming out with. So it has to be done. Right? Mm-hmm. And no, you're absolutely right. They'll do anything to get it done. And and when is that? It's in six months. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's so this show in so many ways reminds us started in the old days. And even in just that 15 years, television and film and uh marketing and Twitter and everything has changed to this 24-second news cycle and entertainment cycle that um we just kind of forget that this is people's lives and they put so much time and effort into it. It's just amazing. Well, I'm just looking through it now and I'm going to put this on the website. I'll put this with the uh, show notes. So you're going to get some long show notes, people. Why not? Cut and paste. It's easy. Um, but it's just crazy to see like casting is underway in 2000, May 21st, 2009. And I see that I was correct about that. I didn't know it, but I had assumed that since Thomas McCarthy directed the original scrapped pilot, that um, Peter Dinklage was kind of part of his announcement package, and he was. May 5th, 2009, Peter Dinklage is the first announced cast member for Game of Thrones. Ten years ago. 
Wow. Yeah. So it's 10 years of Peter Dinklage's life. This has <laughs> yeah. been, you know, this is, this is a decade of people's yeah. lives and it, it's really incredible. It's fun to go through. Yeah. Read this. Uh, once again, it's not my list. It's uh, I stole it from uh, I'll put a, a link. Yeah. Game of Thrones wiki. Yeah. But just to see, you know, kind of how much ramping up, how much, how much thought has to go into it with a show, this many characters, how many casting decisions they had to make. It's really incredible. It's amazing. Now I want to ask you a question. Cause I was just thinking sure. about this and I knew we were going to talk as a book reader yourself. Um, I'm rewatching all the seasons. As you said, I'm up now to season five, episode five. And oh, man. one of the things I'm thinking about is as I've said, uh, is kind of trying to look at it just as it is and watch the show. I have to mention some of the things I remember and such, but after it seems to me that there's kind of two dipping points where Dan and Dave really were kind of challenged and it, some has to do with the story. And I wanted to talk about the first one, which is uh, kind of after the red wedding and we, we, everything is moving towards that point. And then the next season, we get to season four, and then now I'm halfway through season five. There seems there's there are moments of glory and moments of amazing storytelling, but there does it does seem to meander. Now, am I correct in stating that's also kind of the point at which the book was a little meandering too? Or is this because we have it again when the books end and Dan and Dave had to take over and is another point where people say, oh, the show kind of changed. But the well, first a, point, what it, do you think about that? Well, if it's okay, Axel, I'm actually going to jump back a bit further to okay. season two, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. And I say this and I know there, you know, everybody has a opinion. Everybody's opinion is valuable. But I say this as somebody who, once again, I sold this terrible script. So what do I know about writing? Actually, I thought the script was okay. The movie was terrible, <laughs> but uh, the the finished product was terrible. But if you think back to season two, and I, I know in your season two rewatch, you talked about Danny and Karth. And the thing about the Danny and Karth story in the novel, A Clash of Kings, the second book, is if you read that story, and I know some people really love it, but anybody who reads that story of Danny in the second novel, you would go, boy, you would never make a TV show out of this. You would never make a movie out of this. This isn't a, a the type of story that you make as a television show, certainly not one which has a propulsive narrative when it yeah. gets going. And so they tried something, the infamous dragon heist. <laughs> Where are my dragons? And for some people, that didn't work. And I, I understand why people have trouble with it. What's interesting is if they had stuck closer to the novel, they would really have to get a lot of acting out of Amelia Clark because it's kind of an inward journey. It's an internal journey. It's not an external journey of am amazing, you know, pop-up discoveries and betrayals and the twists that the other storylines have naturally built into them. And so I'm not saying it couldn't have worked. But once again, in the business of Hollywood, nobody would have made a television show based around Danny's trip to through the Red Waste and to Karth. They just wouldn't do it. So the tro show tried something there. That's the great. I didn't, oh, even know, I didn't even know that. I, I'm always learning new things. I like that. And so getting to your point, because I heard your season four wrap up and I thought it was so smart. And what they did, because you want to have an arc over a television season. What they did was they had the season three, which is based on the third book. They had the arc kind of built up to the Red Wedding, and you talked about it. They did it so well. They did it so magis 
magically. And it hurt us so much when we saw the reigns oh, of Castamere yeah. and saw the red wedding, but they had that season build up to that arc. The quirk or the trouble you might say is by having that section of the book build up to that arc. They pretty much spent 75% of the third book in season three. And then they had like 25% of the third book left to make season four from now, once again, I said uh, nobody would make a series out of Danny's journey to Karth. If you look at season four, Arya and the Hound, everybody loves that. Yeah. But you actually ask what actually happened. It's like, well, they walked from point A to point B. And at the end, the Hound got in an awesome fight. You know, they had some interesting, <laughs> you know, interesting little side quests yep. along the way. But a lot of people watch season four and just kind of from a story point, what did Arya and the Hound do? They kind of did nothing. But because we love those characters, the actor portrayals are so wonderful, those scenes pop and people can still enjoy them. Yeah. I don't think you could build a whole episode around them. And I don't think if you watch season four, they really kind of have a showcase episode. They have a bunch of great little scenes. And so by stretching out what I would call 25% of the book over 10 episodes, and then suddenly you're missing that kind of arc, they have to create things. You talked about the wildling attacks on the villages in your season four recap you know, that kind of happens off the page and barely mentioned off the page in the, that 25% of the last, the last 25% of book three. And so why is, are there suddenly the wildlings like Egret and Tormund killing Ollie's parents and killing the poor people at Moles Down and all this stuff? Well, as a TV show, you've got to keep the audience engaged and Hey, remember these characters, they exist. And so you're trying to keep them engaged. So you're trying to create, well, what would they be doing around these times? So they're creating scenes for them to you know do things and maybe even though i think we all love degret we all love tormund maybe that uh, uh was it the uh thin stir was that his name the giant yeah. bald stir maybe you think okay they can't carry just a bunch of scenes of them walking like Arya and the hound could and so yeah i think there is possibly some dips in season four and definitely <laughs> in season five sorry i'll uh i'll get to that uh when you uh sorry did you ask about season five because it has its own yeah. little quirks i would say yeah i that's really interesting to me and i, I think that um the way you're describing it is is very interesting as well which is what we have to think about which is certain things work in a book right exactly and right certain exactly things right. do not work and you have to change things when because as i often say and i think you'd agree being an editor yourself and teaching that that you have to think about the fact that you're making a film or a movie or a video all the time. Like that's all you think about when you're exactly. writing a book, you can, you could just start, it can just kind of flow out of you almost like you're playing a guitar or something, right? Like that feeling that's described being in the zone on, and is really possible for maybe like an actor on a film set, a stunt person, a person who's giving a direct performance, maybe a cameraman in a situation where they are um, like a steady cam operator, right? Like put in that position. But in general, it's a technical field. You oh, know, yeah. it's an art, it's a technical art. And you have to constantly be thinking about the structure like that. That's really interesting to me. Do you now we talk about season five? Do you think that they handled the post stuff well, or have you been? What, what's your overall feeling? D 
this, seeing the way they handled four, and if you want to talk a little bit about five, even go past that into six and, and seven. Well, what I would say about season five is as somebody who had trouble with the fourth and fifth books, I thought the idea that you're going to combine the fourth and fifth books into 10 episodes, kind of condense them in a whole lot, I thought that had the potential to be a, a great season. It had the potential to, and it's my own opinion, trim some of the fat out of the fourth and fifth books. And I was very excited about it. And a little side story, I went to, uh, I'm, you know, L.A. kid, uh, L.A. poser nowadays. <laughs> so I went to this great event at um, – Gosh, I forget which talent agency it was. I don't think it was CAA, but I went to a talent agency, Brian Cogman's talent agency and Dave and Dan's talent agency. They had a special premiere of the first episode of season five at the talent agency if you donated some money and it went to a school, which is important. And so I went to this and I saw the first episode of season five and I thought, oh, they're going to do it. They're going to condense this and really make it work for a TV show where it, certainly those books, a bit like Danny's adventure in Carth, you read the fourth and fifth books and I know people love them. I don't want to disagree. You know, they have their opinion. I have a slightly different opinion, but I think anybody, once again, if you think about it from a Hollywood perspective, if you read the fourth and fifth books, you would never think, Oh, let's make a TV show out of these. Going to take a little break here from Bubba to remind you to go to cufflinks.com slash DVR, baby use code DVR 20 to get 20% off your order. Anytime, any price, no minimum, baby. DVR20 at cufflinks.com slash DVR. Want to thank Cufflinks for being our presenting sponsor for Daily DVR and Podcast Winterfell. It's an amazing partnership and they're a great family-owned company. So check them out at cufflinks.com slash DVR. Use code MARVEL. I'm sorry, not MARVEL, Endgame30 to get Marvel products 30% off all month leading up to Marvel's Avengers Endgame. That's a word. That's a lot of words coming out my mouth about superheroes, baby. Check it out. Cufflinks.com slash DVR. Now back to Bubba. So the fourth and fifth books are kind of a mis mismatch of, uh, of genres and ideas. But the big thing that happens in the fourth and fifth books is it's about people kind of struggling internally with the horrors that they've seen, they've yeah. experienced, they've lived through. And you can make great television shows like that. If anybody saw the great show Rectify, that's a nice slow show about somebody, oh, you definitely. know, a lot of people dealing with internal issues and they do it so great. But that's not the show Game of Thrones was. And so there's this push pull of, OK, we want to kind of have these characters have these kind of, you know, real deep moments. But at the same time, the show has to give us moments like Hard Home, moments like Tyrion being attacked by the Stone Men affected with grayscale and sinking to the bottom of of a, his death but no he's not dead and what's funny is a lot of these things not hard home but a lot of these things you can read in george martin's writing of the fourth and fifth books where yes it's slow but he wants to give us those thrills that he had delighted us with in the first yeah. three books so we have a lot of death fake outs like Tyrion. oh is he gonna sink and get grayscale <laughs> no he's not and of course the classic oh john snow's dead oh wait no he's not and so the show struggled with those. I would say one critique or one thought, it's not even a critique. If one thought I would have is that when I look at the stuff Dave and Dan have created on their own, and I've read uh, David Benioff's book and it was a great character piece. And so I think back to season one, they created that great scene between Robert and Cersei 
you know, it wasn't a, a, a plot scene. It was a scene about these two characters talking about what they were dealing with. And I tend to think that's actually David Dan's strength in addition to spectacle. What maybe their strength isn't is some of the mechanics of plot and narrative, which I have to give George credit for. In so many of the cases, and especially in those first three books, George's plotting of narrative and twists and turns that make sense forwards and backwards in every way you look at them, George is just an expert at them. And when they haven't had that, I, I think you can say that's missing in some of the later seasons. But on the flip side, we have gotten some incredible spectacle in a hard home, Battle of the Bastards, Cersei's, Cersei's blowout sale at the Sept. I mean, uh, the hold the door moment, which is just kind of a yeah. germ of an idea that George R. R. Martin told him about. I think they executed that great. So, uh, so many highs. Uh, everybody, once again, even if there's some of these narrative hiccups in the final season, I think they're going to be a lot of highs and still great character moments. Yeah, definitely. That's great, man. That's a great analysis of that because I do think that uh, it's something that uh, that I take into consideration. You're you're trying to adapt and you're trying to invent though too and make it your own. And as you say about your own screenplay, uh, when I used to teach, I one of the fundamental things I'd say on the first day, uh, even if it was just like high school kids picking up a camera, and in my class, I would just tell them write something up for me, write an outline. I'll go over it. We'll talk about it. Then go out and shoot it. Just do it. Learn by doing. Heck and yeah. um, what the first thing I'd say is any movie, TV show, anything you make is going to be three totally separate things. The script, what you shoot and what you edit. And those can be totally different. You can yep. have a script and you can shoot it totally differently and then when you get into the editing room, you try to conform it. If you go on to try to conform it to that script, you're going to be in trouble. So you have to make something totally new because maybe even what was shot isn't available to you. And that happens in, the, in these shows when people constantly get hung up on like, you know, the dagger was different in this scene and that <laughs> scene. And you're like, well, that's probably because somebody was supposed to pick it up and they picked up one that was over there and they gave it to them and the actor didn't notice, you know, or like... Even things back in the lost days, I can remember there was one particular thing where Damon went on the podcast the next week and it was like, yeah, well, we kind of messed up. We told them to shoot it this way, but they shot it that way and we really didn't have a choice. And when it came back to LA, because they were in Hawaii, just like Dan mm -hmm. and Dave are not on set when not they're always, shooting yeah. all this. Sometimes, right, yeah. but not always. They, they can't be. They have like a B, C, and a D crew. <laughs> they can't split themselves, right? So it's just it is it's such a job to do. Um, when I'm watching the, this, I'd have mm -hmm. to say, through five seasons, the person who I feel has both the emotionality, the plotting, the uh, the fun aspects, as well as being a party to some of these events, though not partaking in them, and whose story I'm actually most satisfied with, though she just did get to uh, Bravo, so things are going to take a dip, is Arya's character. I've been really happy with the way that they've developed her and how she has become what she was going to be from the beginning. What character do you look at and, and really think, wow, they did a great job of moving this person along throughout the series? 
Well, this is going to take me back to my podcast Winterfell days, back OG podcast Winterfell, and say, when I saw your note and you thought Arya was the one who had the most logical through line, I thought, darn it, Axel, that's exactly who I think. Oh, okay. And yeah. I think it's through, I would say, through the beginning of season five, and it's just a it's a through line you can see all the way back in the beginning. You yep. can it it refers literally back to one of the first times we saw her shooting an arrow or wearing the helmet when King Robert's procession is coming into Winterfell. It's a straight through line to where she gets in season five. I think there are some narrative hiccups in that. And I honestly think this is ties to Dana Dave's maybe not great in the narrative choices, but I also think it ties into George R. R. Martin. I don't think he's figured some of these things out yeah. where they would say, okay, how is this going to go? And he goes, well, I'm a gardener and I will see where it takes me. And I know she's going to end up here, but I'll see, you know, how the garden grows and how she gets to point B. And they didn't have the luxury of this. They had, okay, well, you know, we start filming in a week. We'll have her do this. Yep. But yeah, Arya's through line is perfect. The performance is perfect. The character is naturally one people are going to love. People love firecrackers who, you know, question authority and, you know, stand up for what they believe in and all the positive traits Arya has. And, in some ways, I think it's not even close any other character in the show, to be completely honest. And so I was tracking my head. I was like, excuse me, scratching my head, not my brain, scratching my head and thinking, all right, well, come on, this is a podcast. We got to have some, we got to have some different takes and different ideas. And I thought I would go, the, you know, well, who has a, who is at least consistent through it all? And I went with a character I just love, Torment. You know, that is true. <laughs> the first thing you see him in, in yeah. season three, he's, he's, you know, he's bad looking. He's tough. He'll, he'll mess you up. But then at the same time, he's like, ah, ha, ha. he thinks I'm a king. Isn't this great? I'll be here all week. <laughs> That's you funny. Know, hey, people. <laughs> I just was watching the scene when John takes his chains off. And oh, yeah. uh, I was just thinking of how similar it was to Danny. And they actually use chains that look exactly like the scene when Danny launches all the chains. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, a nice pro- the prop department. Did, yeah. The prop department didn't want to make any more. They're like, use these chains. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, it, it's, it's fantastic stuff. And Tormund really is very consistent and they've done a great job of making the smaller characters consistent. Even when you oh, yeah. check in on them, one character that I had uh, written in the notes here and it, I'm glad you have some thoughts about it is, and maybe you heard my theory about Kyburn because I'm just into this and I'd like to hear as a book reader too, I, I'm into this idea now that we're into the magic. Kyburn knows about dead people. Is, is he going to in some way join the crew? I don't know which, you know, for whose benefit, but hopefully for some human's benefit, some living person's benefit use that magic that he found that he figured out with the mountain to somehow interfere with the control of, or the development of, or however the white walkers and the whites relationship works. Um, what do you think about that? Well, here we'll have some real disagreement. I think it's crazy. I don't think it's happening, (laughs) (laughs) but I love, I love your thought process. I love that this show can inspire such great ideas because that would be great to see. I I honestly don't think we'll see it, but I thought when you were saying it on your podcast, oh, that would really be fun. What I think about Kyburn 
is you have this, you know, once again, this minor or lesser, less important character than some of the lead characters. And if you go back to his introduction, let's talk about consistency. This was a great little nugget I thought that the writers put in. So Kyburn is introduced in season three, episode one. And Talissa Stark, I believe, is talking to him and she says, boy, you're lucky to be alive. And Kyburn says, lucky? And it's like, yeah, this guy knows how to cheat death, come back from death. He, it hasn't <laughs> yeah. been luck. He's an expert in it. And I love it. And I actually just love Kyburn as a character. If I had to guess Kyburn's fate, I would say, spoiler alert, I think this is a typical fate for kind of everybody on Game of Thrones. You watch Game of Thrones and you know who kills you? Somebody you've had a lot of scenes with. And I'll go back to season one for this uh, kind of observation. Season one, I believe it is an actual season one, episode four, you have Jory supposed to be delivering a message. Jory, for everybody who doesn't remember, is one of Ned Stark's men at arms. So Jory's supposed to be delivering this message from Ned to King Robert. But he goes up and Robert's with his, you know, his, la- his ladies and Jamie's at the door and Jamie's not going to let him in. And so Jory yeah, and this. Jamie have this conversation and it's, it's, you know, it's not exactly pleasant because Jamie doesn't like anybody with Starks, but you know, they have some commonality and it's honestly, I believe in the very next episode where Jamie kills him, who killed Rob, somebody he had had a lot of seeds with Ruse Bolton, who killed, uh, who killed Robert, you know, wife or his wife or Lancel, people he had a lot of scenes with who, you know, and so it's not very often that people are killed by quote unquote, their enemy. In some ways you're in season five, spoiler alert. When Stannis gets killed by Brienne, quote unquote, he was her enemy. That kind of isn't natural to the show. It's your allies who kill you. It's not your, it's not your friends or it's people who were your allies who you've had an awful lot of scenes with. So if I had to guess the great character, I love at Kyburn's end. I think he's going to meet his end either from the mountain or Cersei. One of those two characters, Frank and Gregor or Cersei is going to kill him if I had to guess. And it's going to make me sad because I love his wickedness so much. It's so enjoyable as a fan to watch. It is. I've just been into that guy. I don't know why. It just is. I was just watching uh, when Cersei sends uh, Mace Tyrell to Bravos, and he makes a joke and he says, um, "I'll say hello to the Bravosi. What's it? The soldier? You know, the big statue." Right, the Titan uh, of Bravos. The tit- right, he says, I'll say hello to the Titan of Bravos, and everyone ignores him, but they cut to Kyburn <laughs> and he goes, ha ha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he just, <laughs> he just so laughs good. just a little like he's the reason why I say is this I'm kind of attracted to his character because he is one of these kind of cripples, bastards, and broken things, right? He right. is kind of like his whole story about not being able to practice what he wants. I don't know why I've become fascinated with him because I was never too fascinated with him before. But upon rewatch, just seeing him pop up so much, that's a great thing about this show is so what 200 and something different characters, some of which appear in like someone appears in season two, and then we see him again in season four, you know, like, and then, and then five, they become a part of the show all of a sudden. Yeah, and, and let me say, sorry to interrupt you, Axel, no, which I, I'm going to contradict myself when I'm interrupting you. But Axel, there are so many great podcasters from people like myself who have, who've read the books, but we need more podcasts and more voices from people who are show only. I loved how you were talking about 
uh, you know, just the, these nuggets they dropped. And as a book reader, I, I'm blown away by you TV viewers. You know, you mentioned it. They're talking about Thoros and Mir and his burning sword in that infamous scene between Jamie and Jory. And you're not going to know who this guy is for two seasons. In season yeah. one, they keep mentioning Mance. Who in the world is Mance in season one? It doesn't make <laughs> any sense. And the fact that the show watchers were able to just, you know, just kind of go with it and say, okay, this will make sense in a bit. I love it. I love I love everybody who's got a passion for this show. But of course, my joke about the show is that <laughs> my joke about the show is the show forces you to be a super fan because the only yeah. way you'll be able to comprehend it is to be a super fan and really get involved and learn all these crazy characters' names. Well, that's like the relations. Yeah, well, I mean, that's like the reverse engineering of mm-hmm. I talked today on Daily DVR about a um uh, well, recording. This will be released later, people. The magic of uh, the internet. Um, but uh, I talked today about HBO buying a fantasy, a sprawling comic fantasy ep- epic. I think it's called Akunda. Um, and it's almost, it's like people are trying to reverse engineer. You know, it's like the lost thing. You want a show that garners this kind of yeah. rabid following. It's like finding a new type of cigarette or something, you know, to give people that they get into. And you say, thanks to the T, you know, it's amazing to the TV watchers. I've been saying in the rewatch, and I always say thanks to all the people who read the books. Like I was never spoiled. People always gave little hints that made me more excited. Um, And I, I feel like, no, I, I paid attention to stuff like that as I realized how great the books were and what a fervent following they alone had that I had to kind of pay attention to this kind of stuff. And it made it so much more fun. And, uh, and they're still doing it. I have no doubt that even in the final season, people will pop up that we haven't seen in two or three seasons, you know, and become more or people who were kind of in the background become more prominent and uh, that's just part of uh, what I'm looking forward to in season eight is seeing kind of how more people will meet each other too. Like the, like the scene uh, when John meets Stannis and it's not, there's no real, it's, they just cut to it and Stannis is there talking and then it cuts back and oh, there's John, right? <laughs> he, He's standing well, there he, with Mance. He's short. He's, he's, hard, like, he's hard to, he's easy to miss. You know, he was behind Mance. He's like, who's that little guy? Oh, it's John. Oh, hey. They forgot the apple box. Uh, <laughs> so it's just amazing. And, you know, we're going to see it more different. You know, I haven't seen the trailer. I know you did. And after this season, sometimes after the season, well, ever, after every season, I think I'll do it now. I go back and listen to stuff that kind of I felt might be a little spoilery. So I want to go back and listen to your frame-by-frame analysis of this trailer. But I know already people are getting excited like, oh, that person's there. They could be meeting this person. And it's still exciting to see after all this, all these different crazy journeys. Like you think about Arya's journey and all the people who kind of passed through and saw Hot Pie you know, at the little <laughs> yeah. inn, which I think, I'm not sure, maybe you know, is that kind of based on the Lord of the Rings, the same inn, you know, where Frodo and them go and then they come back to it? Because I know, I don't think in the movie they come back to it, but I know that in the stories they do. Did he ever uh-huh. talk about it being kind of based on that or is that a show creation? 
I believe that I believe that's true, but I have to be honest. I've never okay. heard George R. R. Martin himself I, say that. Yeah, I just think it's so similar. Like it just reminds me. Maybe it's just because it kind of looks like they kind of shoot it a little bit similar to that scene in the movie as well, when he kind of loses the ring. There's always oh, yeah. that, all, so much stuff has happened in that room. You know, <laughs> yeah. that little. No, inn. it really, really has. It really. It's really crazy. Has. That's where Tyrion got taken by. Uh, Catelyn, right? She recognized him, right? And and before that, in in season two, I mean, sorry, in episode two of season one, that's where Robert and Cersei theoretically was, because they were certainly at the exterior of it. That's the room where Robert said, oh, you know, buy her a dog. (laughs) She'll be happier. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. But Axel, is it okay if I jump in? And this might be a daily DVR note, but you're always talking about reverse engineering these shows. And a theory I came up with, because I was a fan of Lost. And uh, one of my favorite shows is the first two seasons. I got to be very specific about that. But one of my favorite shows was the first two seasons of Twin Peaks. And both Lost and Twin Peaks are kind of have these sprawling narratives and they take these incredible turns in, in, in into sci-fi or into horror, into various fields, time travel, various things. And I always say, you know, one thing about Lost at the very beginning, it was a relatively simple show about yeah. a plane crash and people on an island. And then it kind of grew from there. You know, it had little hooks that it could take, but it was a very simple show at the beginning. And it kind of took viewers on that journey. If you look at Twin Peaks, once again, the first two seasons, the beginning of the show, it's a very simple show. Okay. Uh, it's it's a show you've seen a million times on CSI. Okay. Uh, somebody's been killed. The cops are going to investigate it. And then they grow to become these kind of, you know, incredible worlds. And so I think if you're trying to build the next Game of Thrones, the the kiss rule keep it simple stupid I, start with a yep. simple premise and then allow it to grow those shows that tried to be lost 2.0 you know they were starting off you know really big really big like look at this worldwide conspiracy this worldwide phenomenon <laughs> and it's like that's tough for people the to event. jump in on yeah, with a, no, yeah that's a great you know what you're totally right because when you think about game of thrones and it that's in a in, mm-hmm. in a more meta or you know just overall store genre idea as well that a lot of people myself included when I tune into Game of Thrones I said oh this feels familiar to me this is kind of a BBC costume drama but it has a little bit more flair to it you know what I yeah. mean a little bit more. It's, it seemed even a little bit more American. I mean, George is from New Jersey. I proudly state whenever I can. And it, he, it has a little bit of a Jersey vibe to it where people just don't take shit. There's real people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right? They want to drink. They want to fuck. They want to do what they want to do. <laughs> and it's, they're doing, they're having their lives. And then it kind of, the genre, it, it, it expands not only in, the story and the way it becomes incredibly another thing I noticed too is this being self-referential to the world constantly using the right oh, yeah. words and verbiage and descriptions of things. Like you don't just say I'm going to the bathroom, you say I'm going to the whatever because it places this certain pl- word, you know, the loo or whatever they say. <laughs> but uh, even though that's, I guess that's British. But um, it's it's just it's amazing the world bringing to start 
and then grow not only in the mm-hmm. characters and world, but the genre too, become a fantasy show. Then add the, uh, oh, I want to mention AU's theory real quick, because I'd like to hear what you say when we talk about um, the fantasy or sci-fi even elements of the show, which is, has Game of Thrones introduced time travel? I want to hear what you have to say. Do you think that's going to be a part of this season? Because I had AU Pack Mule, YouTuber, great guy, subscribe. And I was talking about my theories of brand and how Game of Thrones, and as a, as a fan and as a reader, I know you're a voracious reader. I'm sure you're familiar with these very cyclical type stories where the end yeah. is the beginning because it's such mm-hmm. a huge world. Or, you know, like the creation story folds in on itself and brands abilities have the, um, the, they, it leaves that option open. Did he, did Ned really hear him whisper? Um, can he really affect things? And AU says, no, that Wereward network and where, where he is, is kind of like he's interacting with a host program. It's not, it's a, it's a virtual kind of world. He's not really able to change past events and that won't be a big factor in the show. He's not all these people. What do you think about that? Cause that's a big theory going in this season. Well, let me say once again, I'm, I'm not just doing this for podcast dynamics, but lo- love hearing the theory. Don't agree with it. I tend to think of it and I'll, once again, refer back to something earlier. And this goes back to George R. R. Martin himself. So in the second season, uh, at the end of episode four of the second season, Melisandre, this new character, gives birth to the Shadow Demon. Beginning of episode five of season two, the Shadow Demon kills Renly. Holy smokes, yep. this is powerful, a.k.a. too powerful. And I think if you read the book, suddenly George is like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I've created this power that's too powerful. We can't do it anymore. Hey, Melisandre, I want you to make me another son. You're weak, my kicking. <laughs> oh, what? Huh? And so they're trying to, you know, like, okay, that's yep. too powerful. And we then he keeps on wanting to get busy with her. That's oh, another yeah. thing that people forget is like, there's four other scenes where she's like, we have work to do. And he's like, I got some work for you. I know. <laughs> no. Stannis keeping it good. And uh, you know, it's, it's rarely uh, mentioned. Everybody always wants to go on Twitter about how, what a powerful leader Stannis is. It's rarely mentioned how he like followed her around for two seasons, <laughs> three seasons, like just trying she, to get a little more beautiful. I, you know, yeah. I agree with Stannis's platform yeah, there. Definitely. You know, go for it. But what I would say about Brandon time travel is that was such a great scene in season six and so effective in season six. And I do believe Brand can affect the past, can change the past, or quote unquote has already oh, okay. changed the past. But I personally think that one of the reasons why you saw a kind of, you know, robot Brand in season seven and Brand do a, what feels like a little bit less is because the showrunners themselves suddenly go, oh, wait a minute, he's too powerful. We've got to kill his powers for a bit so that when Brand's powers do become apparent in season eight, they're, you know, they're, they're suddenly used and more effective. It's a bit like, you know, you fire the wildfire twice. You blow up Stannis's ships, you blow up the Septa Baylor. You can't use wildfire for everything. At least that's what I keep telling Cersei and she doesn't listen to me. <laughs> and so I kind of think that we will see time travel again in season eight. If I had to guess why introduce it, uh, if the only purpose was to hurt poor uh, Odor and or reveal John's parentage, yeah. there were other ways you could have done it. I think you will see it again in season eight. And I do think 
brand can and has affected the past. So I love his idea of the matrix, but it's just one I don't subscribe to. That's interesting. Yeah, of course. But I you didn't... can subscribe to me on Twitter at <laughs> Fit and Trim. That's F I T T E N T R I M, at Fit and Trim on Twitter. And Joffrey of Podcasts on oh, iTunes, yes, Stitcher, your favorite podcatcher. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like uh, that's good. I like to have differing, different opinions because I'm a little bit on the fence in it, and I like the way you're describing it. It is true because. Theoretically, Bran and uh, the Three-Eyed Raven in like 10 minutes could have fixed this whole show if oh, he yeah. had just let him. If he was like, well, you know what? It's bad enough. Go ahead and talk to him, Bran. <laughs> <You know what laughs> I mean? like, just tell him what's going to happen and, and then we won't have to do this. Uh, you know, Tell him not to chop that guy's head off when he comes out and believe that the White Walkers yeah. are coming. Yeah, just listen to the guy. Yeah, uh, it, help so many things. It's, uh, it's just crazy what they could do. And that's a great point because it's so much power. And it does seem like maybe it could just be one little thing that he'll do. You know what I mean? Like one, mm-hmm. like he'll uh, finally agree to it or he'll be forced to, or it'll be like yeah. a pivotal oh, yeah. event will happen because I'm not a fan of, and I don't think many book readers, people of this show are that this is going to end with like a three episode long battle. No. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be more of strategy and involve the history and the story and the characters and the people rather than just like, let's all meet at Winterfell and fight, you know, or let's meet at King's Landing and fight. I, I think it has to be much more than that. Yeah. And I think the fighting and the battles will actually have a lot of strategy and tough choices in them. Yes. That's a great point. That's a great point. People sacrificing themselves. How, and that's, and this is where we're finally getting, we've had these little kind of D and D, uh, and I, and here I don't mean Dan and Dave, I mean Dungeons and Dragons team ups, but this is where I like, where will we get that final kind of crew, you know, like getting the team together for one last job, you know, so you got the warrior, the mage, um, the, uh, what, what, what else do you have? <laughs> you have the, the father, the mother, the maiden, the crone, well, I'm the just stranger. trying to think of, oh, the, the assassin, the right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The assassin. Yeah, like, let's are, do this. Yeah. We have all these people getting together. So, all right, we've been going for a long time. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but the final thing I do want to ask you is Mine's how zero. do you think this thing is going to end? What is, what? from reading the books and seeing the changes that Dan and Dave have made. Cause I think you can't say the books and the TV show, I think are going to be vastly different in the end, how they end mm-hmm. for this TV show. How do you think, I mean, you don't have to describe everything, but what's kind of your idea or what you want from the ending? Okay. Well, as soon as I got a couple books to deep into the series, reading them and watching the show to me, the only logical thought process is there's not gonna be anybody on the throne when it's over there probably won't even be a throne when it's over and i'm going to use this one little nugget i don't think it's a spoiler but i i took it as oh the, my theory must be correct another hollywood event i went to uh the it was the academy television academy who gives out the emmys they were having a kind of salute to game of thrones this was at the beginning of season three so the night after the season three premiere at the chinese theater on hollywood boulevard there the night after they had many of the actors back and they had just a discussion and the creators and George R. R. Martin were there themselves. And so the moderator of this panel was Rob McElhenney, 
the actor from It's Always Sunny in yes, Philadelphia. He's great. And so the question, one of the questions he asked, and it's kind of a typical question, he had everybody go down the line, and he said, "Who do you, who do you think is going to be on the throne at the end?" And sure enough, Nikolai Coster Waldo said, "My idea." He goes, "Well, I don't think there's going to be a throne. I think the show is showing how you know you put all this power in one hand, it's bad for everybody." And of course, I'm there in the front row, and I look over, and George is just kind of smiling. He's not saying anything, but he was smiling, and I thought, <laughs> "Yes, yes, my theory is right." I I have to say I 100% agree with that. That has to be all the stuff that's in the book and the TV about how terrible war is. Yep. You see how people's uh, purposefully you get to learn about a small character's life that's quickly extinguished and weigh it against what our he- quote unquote hero's journey is about. Right. And then mm-hmm. you say, what's the difference, right? Like there's so much loss here. Why can't, and it's so much seeking love and people seeking all the time, talking about their family and their honor, but not following through with it. So it has to be, and also the fact that this story is about this woman who is an ancestor of people who took over this whole land, right? Yep. The Targaryens are not from that land. So this is some kind, again, the circle closes and that Targaryen uh, rule is finally extinguished and freedom or some sort of parliamentary democracy, which I don't know if they have enough to do, but they'd still probably kill each other anyway. Um, yeah, actually, you know. Axel, I'm going to cut you off. I think that <laughs> is the actual very end of it. Is they're going to come up with a better form of government than a, a you know a strict monarchy, and you know they'll you know you'll think okay this is so good this is so good, and then the final scene will be of just some extras you know devolving into petty arguments, <laughs> just like we've been suffering through all the show. You know, I think that'll be you know like that'll be the full circle as we've survived. Oh, you know, the worst thing that could ever happen to us somehow. <laughs> we've broken up this ridiculous uh, king uh, idea. We've got this great parliamentary system, and then it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, his sheep walked on my land. I get him. <laughs> or th- or then somebody walks in and says, ladies and gentlemen, something – it's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and they all go, oh, crap. Now we're really going to get everyone's opinion. <laughs> we're screwed. Oh, my God. Twitter is invented. Uh, that I agree with you, man. I think that – I think a, a a return to people often get um, disappointed at finales that don't end with like Bob Newhart waking up and he's in his show that was ended 20 mm. years ago. That's something that's not crazy, you know? And for me, the reason why I liked something like the lost ending is because for me, what it ended is the journey of our characters and the journey we have been on as fans. And the journey we've been on has not just been the red wedding, the purple wedding, uh, you know, Jamie's hand getting cut off. It hasn't just been crazy. The, the white Walker turning a baby into a white Walker. It's been Danny learning how to rule and, 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 becoming comfortable with herself. It's John turning from a sword bro to a leader and a person who actually stands up for something, you know, and Tyrion learning about things. So I hope that's where we end too, where it's more about how the characters will continue on without us 
and and less about some you know crazy surprise at the end they're all living on a turtle you know because i know that's what george likes to say right they're living on a turtle doing something in a something i thought you were also spoiling the end of the (laughs) stephen king's it spoiler alert for anybody who's read stephen king's it i haven't seen part two yet oh oh no uh, the uh, let me leave you with this, Axel, and it's I consider it my most controversial take out there, and that is is that the White Walkers, the quote unquote big bad, the winter that is coming for us all this time. I hear so many podcasts, and I and I understand the thought process where they're like, "Well, are we going to learn more about them? Are we going to learn what they want to do? Are we going to learn this? We're going to learn that." And let me say, I am normally of that opinion always. But I always go back to Hard Home, which you're about to see in your rewatch. I go back to Hard Home. And in Hard Home, we didn't know what had created the White Walkers. We didn't know anything about them other than we had learned by that point they took Crasher's baby and they turned it into a White Walker. And we knew that they had zombies and they would try to kill you. That's all we knew about them. And yet when I watched Hard Home with our good friend Heath, he was at my uh, condo that night. We were all watching it together. Awesome. It was incredible. It was, you know, it was the edge of your seat. It was like, oh, my God, this is whoa, 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 whoa. And not once in that incredible battle slash moment slash, you know, uh, uh, historic event, not once did anybody pause and say, now, wait a minute. Why are they doing this? It was just these guys are coming to kill us. Oh, snap. And so I know everybody wants it. And let me say, I'm normally this way, too. But unless they have a great kind of answer, great kind of twist, great kind of thing of, okay, the White Walkers are for this and they're going to do this, you know, like, otherwise, I'm actually okay with them just being, you know, killing machines that are coming to get us because it worked for me in Hard Home. And I have a feeling if they execute it as well as they did in Hard Home, that season eight's going to bl- blow me away. And all those questions I have are going to matter less than, Oh my God, run Aria, run Aria, run everybody. Run. <laughs> I, you know, I like the way you said that. And, and I, and you know, and I am a person and you hear me talk about how I, I'd be upset if they're just uh blanket killers. And now I will point one thing while you're talking about hard home. It is, we should, we can notice. And I think it's fair to say that the Knights King does like look at Jon Snow. Oh yeah. And oh, take yeah, notice does. of him and it happens several times. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be something going on, but I'm kind of getting used to what you're saying and it's for the reason of something we haven't mentioned yet, which is the big prequel coming where yep. we're supposed to find oh, out yeah. what happened mm-hmm. in the first long night and all that kind of stuff. So I do think maybe you're right, and I'm looking for a character ending, something that makes me feel good about the journey we've been on. And if I don't get, you know, all the Dharma Initiative stuff that I wanted, it was way too much just hanging out in the village and not enough hanging out near the time travel stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wanted to know how they built the donkey wheel. I never found out. If I don't find out that stuff, I'll probably be okay too. And I like the way you put it. You convinced me there because – I love Hard Home, and I just – there was just the way they fought and the way that battle took place 
to see that again, to see that happen at Winterfell or to see that happen at uh, King's Landing or throughout the fields of the North is going to be absolutely mind-bogglingly cool, Uh, especially if there's ice spiders because we all want ice (laughs) spiders. Yes, exactly. Hell yeah. That is the donkey wheel that I need. (laughs) All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. We got to do this. It it took too long to do it. We got to do this again during the season. Yeah, and let me say, Axel, uh, I appreciate you. What you've been doing in these season rewatches, they're getting me excited. They're getting me pumped for season eight. So I'm ready. You know, winter's here. Let's do this. Yeah, baby. I appreciate it. And when I listen to your breakdown um, in uh, four months, I'm going (laughs) to thank you too. All right. Awesome. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Podcast Winterfell dvrpodcast.com podcastwinterfell.com I'm probably going to be releasing this on the daily DVR too so all the folks can listen to it we appreciate the time peace